Welcome to the premiere episode of the Afros and Knives podcast. I'm your host, Chef Tiffany. This show features conversations with the dope queens who lead and create in food, wine, and hospitality spaces. We are going to hear their stories and discuss the challenges and triumphs unique to the community of Black women working in these industries. This week's conversation is with El Simone Scott. She is a chef, a thought leader, and a culinary influencer. And she drips that Black queen sauce everywhere she goes. She's the founder of She Chef and a host and food stylist for America's Test Kitchen. So let's get into this week's conversation. I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan, born and raised. I consider myself a Brooklyn native as I was a resident there for over 10 years. And I currently reside in Boston, Massachusetts. I've been here for three years. Uh, I'm also a food stylist. Uh, That was my original entry into culinary media back in 2009 as an intern at uh, Food Network. Um, I've enjoyed a pretty luxurious and flexible career as a freelancer in New York City, where I uh, focus on culinary production, producing small segments for the Cooking Channel, Bravo, and uh, the Food Network. I am no longer in the culinary production game, but I'm now in front of the camera as TV talent on America's Test Kitchen, where I teach home cooks how to make recipes that are flawless. It's executed specifically by instruction. Um, it's a great job. I kind of, it kind of fell in my lap, and you know I'm very interested to tell you guys how I got to where I am today. So my first question is, what were you doing, I guess, before, before food? Because I've read a, a few snippets here and there, but I'd rather always hear directly from a person. Like, where were you at and what kind of pushed you in this direction? Because there's always, I also, there's always like a catalyst. Um, well, I don't, going, okay, honestly, I can't anymore. say that <laughs> and I'm doing there was else. ever so, like, a what before was trans- food you transition time of my out life. Of, and what was kind of the spark that pushed you into food? became a different level um, if it, 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 there was a different level of priority for food in my life, um, I've always been into food. I've always been cooking. Um, I was always in the kitchen at a very young age. Um, and, and, you know, learning from my grandmother, but not necessarily being taught from her, just like watching, helping, mostly helping, you know, cause, and, you know, in the black family structure, if you want to be anywhere where the adults are, usually listening to adult conversations, you have to be busy, you know, and so I just, I took to, um, you know, finding busy work and being quiet and being present, (laughs) you know, um, and and watching my aunt and my grandmother and my great-grandmother. I had my great-grandmother in my life until I was in my 20s, so I was pretty fortunate um, because my great-grandmother was also um, a professional cook, if you will. She was a cook at a Jewish nursing home. Um, so, food, you wow. know, food has always been a part of my life in, in a very um, detailed way. I was a social worker after graduating from college. Uh, I graduated from Eastern Michigan University. And um, I went into social work because I, I enjoy helping people. I enjoy um, helping people help themselves, you know, create resources um, and, you know, help them to create the kind of life that they would ideally like to live. The the demographic I worked with mostly uh, was um, youth transitioning from 
foster care uh, to um, adult living, you know, um, and and so I was basically teaching youth who had never really had a whole lot of guidance how to be adults in the you know in the real world because they were aging out of the system okay. and were going to be independent. So. Um, you know, I would teach them how to write a check, how to pay bills, how to do a budget, how to apply for financial aid, how to apply for college, uh, how to apply for a job, how to dress for an interview, all the basic living skills, independent living skills is what they called it. Um, and after doing that job for some years, it, it just so happened that I was in my, the beginning of my workforce years when the, the recession hit. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2000, I don't know, what was that? 2007, three, four. Yep. Yep. And yeah, it definitely started. Ooh. I mean, it definitely started as far back as 2002. I remember, you know, I was, li- I was actually doing my undergraduate internship in New York City at the time. And uh, when the war started, you know, and I went home and got a job and shortly thereafter, um, the, you know, recession caused, you know, the nonprofit world to kind of tank and the agency I worked for lost, lost their funding. And so I found myself unemployed, um, but basically bottoming out because I didn't have money and I, I didn't have a contingency plan. Yeah. And um, I, I had to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. But at, even at that time, I was working at restaurants at night. I was um, doing, yeah, I was a prep cook. Because um, it just mm. fed my desire for being around food. It was also like my um, uh, decompression after oh, a day okay. of social working. It was a great, you know, chopping things for hours is a great way to just kind of like level yourself out. Um, and so when I lost my job, I asked the chef mm-hmm. if I could, you know, work for hours. And it really kind of just, you know, snowballed from there. I went from working yes. more hours at the restaurant to um, working as a level one prep cook at uh, on Norwegian Cruise Lines cruise ship, um, you know, and and that was my first entry point into like professional cooking, like for you know mass production, and um, and I loved it. Okay. I enjoyed that job a great deal. It was uh, one of my favorites to date. It was hard, and I I knew I said. I told myself, if I can do this job seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day, then I know for sure that I am passionate about cooking. And after doing it for two years, I was like, hey, I'm pretty sure this is what I want to do. And I had some really great mentors, some black male chefs who were my sous chefs on the cruise ship, who um, mentored me. They showed me a lot of respect. Um, they taught me the ropes, but they also encouraged me to go to culinary school. And so when I got off the ship, I went to New York with $200 and two suitcases and a small scholarship from women's chefs and restaurateurs to go to a culinary school that I could not afford and consequently did not go to. I didn't go to that school, but I did. I did go to school, not that one, but I did go. And, um, you know, it was kind of, history from there. I went to a trade school that I could afford while working as a social worker. I was I took another social work job. It was the last one. And um 
yeah, that's how I ended up in New York wow. going to culinary school. Now, I won't go too far because perhaps you have more questions <laughs> uh, leading up. I don't I don't want to spill it all in one in one conversation, you know, one moment. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no, that's I just it's. Oh, girl, it's all right. It's all right. It's. I found it, it's so funny because every time I have a conversation specifically with women of color who have transitioned yeah. into culinary, it's almost the same story. It's kind of the same trajectory. They started, they always, cooking was always kind of running in the background, like a computer program in their life. And it was always there. It was always, it was like ever present. And at some point it pops its head up and you, you're in a transition. It's either you lost a job, something happened in the economy and you're yeah. sitting in this moment like, okay, what do I do now? And, and like, you know, like that ever present friend food shows up again and somewhere it kind of yeah. just takes you where it's supposed to go. And so like, cause I had a very similar journey and, um, about the same time. So um, it was like, oh, wow. Okay. She was where, when? Wow. All right. I ended up in New York in like 2012 and I was work, I was in culinary school in 2008. And um, I, at the time I was working at a hotel in like guest services in Arizona and I had gone to Nashville and I was transitioning out of like marketing and out of like an office job. And I just didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I just knew that that wasn't it anymore. And the, the company I was working for, they were reducing their staff until they got down to like three people. And so it just wasn't even an option at that point. And so I ended up going to Nashville and kind of just like wandering a little bit. And then food again, just kind of just shows up like it was sitting in the background this whole time. And it was like, well, we got you. If you want to pursue this, you good. And um, so all the chefs I had were again, like they were, you know, just like yourself, they were very generous and they were like supportive and they, they, you know, they, they, constantly heard like you're really mm-hmm. well suited for this work you're scared of hard work and you obviously love what you do and so I just always found it fascinating that every time I talk to someone new they have a really similar story and I'm just I'm now I'm curious as to why that's the case especially like I said especially for black women um but yes but my next question is like during that process like is there something because it sounds like you had a lot of information going into a lot of people like around you supporting you and giving you like an educate like an education that wasn't even in the classroom. But is there something you kind of wish you knew before you started? Oh, certainly. Like, I mean, internally, I wish I had known then personal, the whether it was professional. Is there benefit, like a small nugget of information that you have now that you wish you had then? Um, and also the resource to study abroad to you know um, to cook. You know, like. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think anyone ever, because I went to a trade school with mostly, you know, um, you know, people who came from families, uh, pretty much in the poverty level income, you know, I honestly feel like there was a lot left out of those programs because they were just trying to push those youth through a trade and to keep them. I don't know, perhaps off the street or just employed. There were some people in my program who were who were literally in like second chance programs with the state of New York, where if they didn't do this thing right, they were going to prison, you know. So I, I think that because I had to, I had to make an executive decision about wow. how much money or how much debt I wanted to go into yeah. to take on this um, 
career path, I I also had to choose to go to a school that did not offer the same type of resources or access to their students, you know, so where most right. schools are either have programs that help students study abroad or encourage students to study abroad. The school I attended did not put any importance on that. And, and I, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty grown when I went to culinary school. Like I was definitely, a, I at least was 30. I think I moved to New York mm-hmm. again when I was the second time when I was 30. And, you know, I was very well, okay. <laughs> I was very well aware of the importance of traveling. I mean, I had traveled a great deal, you know, in my life up until that point. Same here. Um, you know, um, I, you know, I, I just didn't think of it in the context of, or, you know, I mean, I hear I'm 30 years old. I've packed up all of my belongings in one bag and come to New York City with $200. I was barely surviving in New York City, let alone the thought of, of someone holding my rental space for three months while I go gallivant around Italy to learn how to cook pasta, you know, and, and and that's not to reduce it, you know, because that is a valuable experience, but depending on how you come into this industry, you don't get to, you don't have Mm. easy access to those experiences. And that was part of the reason I created She Chef is because I wanted to give, you know, women of color access you know, because access is resources, right? right. Um, sometimes access is just gifts, you know, and I wanted I wanted to provide that for women of color because I never mm. saw those women after, not not, not all of them, but a good, right. I mean, 2% of them are still cooking professionally right now, you know, and it's like, I, I never saw those women again and it astounded me, like, where the hell are they? So there's nothing there's nothing but white women if, or, or white men, you know, like there's no one here that Did looks like go? all yes. the people I went to school with. And it was disheartening. And I, I, I was just mm. trying to figure out what I wanted to do about that. And that's kind of how I came up with She Chef. Right. At what point in your career did you kind of did that idea go okay we need to stop being idea and start being start to exist for real like what was what was that was there a moment where you kind of were in an experience and were like oh okay it's time or had it just kind of organically happened where there was an opportunity that presented itself and you were like okay now I know it's time to like just go all in on this one I would honestly say that it kind of organically happened I mean she just was already being itself before I decided <laughs> before I decided that it should be a, a thing you know like um, it was really just a meetup opportunity for women of color in the industry who wanted to just you know vent or needed you know like somebody to watch their kid while they had to go work the shift or you know we were just like a group of people supporting each other you know they were supporting me I was supporting mm-hmm. them um, it, it did come the the thought occurred to me when I was interning at the Food Network and I didn't see a whole lot of I didn't see any other black women I saw there was one black woman who was a producer who left during my internship she actually moved to care for her aging parents Um, but after she left there was no other um, there was no other black woman 
there. And there were a few Asian sisters there, but overall, no, you know, very few, very few. And right. um, wow. so I was like, this is odd. And I would do more jobs and I would just notice that that was the trend. And I was like, okay, uh, why is this happening? So I went to the um, student services um, the, uh, department of my culinary school and got to talking with them, career services. And just got to talking to them about our students calling back for job placements, you know, asking all the sociological questions behind where they at, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, yeah, girl. girl. So, yeah. So oh, they yeah. started giving me the names and numbers of a few people to reach out to, who, some who were still working in the field, some who were not. So I kind of just turned it into a bit of a research opportunity to you know, find out what was going on and how I could be of assistance, you know, because you can know that there's a problem and have no idea what the real problem is, you know. Um, So so I just wanted to find out what the real problem was. I I found a host of things. Some of them were just like childcare, um, the the rate of pay in the the food, especially in fast food, because when you go to a trade school, Mm -hmm. most really the only places that will really hire you are fast food places or maybe slow food you know Panera these Starbucks you know and thank God for those companies because they pay well but you know even still you're not starting in fine dining and even if you do get into fine dining you're at the low end of total so wages were an issue is still Mm -hmm. an issue Um, you know so so things like that so I was like I want to just kind of get together and we can talk about it see if there's anything we can do about it how we can fix it how we can support each other and so that was really how it came about. You know, it wasn't, it, it, I didn't have intention for it to become what it became. Um, however, I do, I do okay. treat Shisha like a mother or a parent. Let me not say, let me, not, let me be politically correct. As a, <laughs> I don't, I see Shisha as a parent treats their child. You have an idea what you would love to see your child become in life, but the reality is, is that you have to let your child become who they are meant to be, right? And so mm-hmm. I lo- a lot of times I would try to, you know, manipulate it and make it something. I was, we were doing pop ups at one time where I was featuring women chefs of color, um, of the diaspora more specifically. Um, I, I, I did mm-hmm. so many different business models with she chefs until I finally decided like, you know what, I, I'm just going to let it be what it, what it needs to be. And, and instead of me creating, um, a format or something, I'm going to just see what the consumers need. Like what do the people need? What do they want? You know? And when, when women will reach out to me via social media, via, you know, um, uh, you know, any other emails, uh, they uh, they would reach out to me and my first question would be to them, like, what are your needs? You know, like, what what is your problem area right now? Or what are you struggling with? And, um, you know, you get a host of answers, but it's, it's a lot easier to just work according to people's needs. And then soon you start to notice a trend, like most people... Or have transitioned or want to want to go from um, fine dining to catering or they want to start their own business, you know, Um, you'll notice more trends. And it's kind of easier to help support the needs of people when you can kind of, you know, at the very least um, group the issues, cluster them and kind of attack them, um, you know, from a larger point of view. 
Mm, okay. Okay. I mean, it's funny that because we're now getting into a trend with culinary uh, work in general about, especially around like mental health and having better support systems for people who work um, in this industry and how it always takes, usually it always takes a group of black women to kind of lead the charge in that direction because a lot of, you know, listening to what, how you describe this organization, a lot of it does sound like this place of support because while, you know, of course wanting to do more of the, you know, doing pop-ups and events and, and, and drawing people in and making them aware of the fact that there are these women out here who do this work and they're amazing and they should be seen and we, um, they should be represented properly. There's a, a space internally in the industry where it's like, but these same women also need support. They also need somebody who has their back. They also need to know that they won't have to lose an opportunity because they have these details in their lives that they don't have a resource to go to, Mm -hmm. um, to address. And so it's amazing to see like some of these organizations are starting to pop up. I think it was, um, Sean Brock recently released some information about a, a, a job, App that he had been working on with some folks and how it allows you to as a you know to work in culinary but you can be essentially a freelancer and maybe work a couple hours here a couple hours there and it kind of allows you to move through the industry a little bit more freely so it's just interesting to see that yet again you have <laughs> black and brown women kind of leading the charge very quietly in a, in, a, in these directions where it's like well if we're going to do this work and we love what we do but we also need to not burn ourselves out and not stress ourselves out about certain details about our life. Like we need to be able to live a life and do the work we love, but we're going to need support systems in order to do that. Um, do you see other organizations starting to pop up like smaller communities of women across the country or across the world who are kind of mirroring this effort, mirroring the work that you're doing with she chef? Absolutely. Um, I mean, what I'm doing with she chef is, is not, uh, it's not original in that, you know, like of course, I didn't corner, I didn't corner that market. I just hit it from a national perspective. Um, and mm-hmm. only because I was doing it at a time where there were no organizations centered solely on um, women of color. Right. It, it, to this day, there is right. no nationally um, national corporation created for women of color except Shisha. There are lots of, um, you know, uh, local level um, orgs like Chef Cat in Baltimore um, has just called me Chef. Um, there are some sisters in LA who have an org. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I have chemo brain, so I can't remember every, all the names, but, um, okay. you know, there, there are definitely, there's um, equity at the table, which is not um, uh, an organization as much as it is a network, you know. Um, Equity at the Table is a network of women, uh, identified individuals who also may identify as queer, LGBTQIA, um, or or other. And um, we are all... Food professional, um, so I am a I am a, a member of Equity at the Table Network. Um, there's Women in Hospitality United, of which I'm an executive board member. Um, they are not an organization centered around women of color specifically, but they are um, focused deeply on um, equity and um, work place rights. And okay. um, uh, women identified 
individuals safety in the food and beverage industry. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're based out of New York, but they also have a national reach, which is very exciting. Um, so, you know, there are lots of orgs right now. Oh, and, um, um, Ashton, uh, I'm, I'm stumping on my own foot, not telling you Ashton, Ashton Berry, <laughs> Ashton Berry in New Orleans. Um, okay. she has a, an amazing, um, conference called um, um, Resistance uh, Radical Resistance I think it's called Um, but Ashley is doing crazy advocacy work Uh, Radical Exchange Radical Exchange Um, an annual event that she has in New Orleans. Um, Ashton is in the in the beverage industry mostly, um, and you know, so she's definitely yeah, she's a powerhouse and alone. I mean, she has she has partners with Radical Exchange, and I can't remember the sister's name, but uh, you know, there are lots of people out here really um, advocating for you know mental health and you know um, sustainability in the food and beverage industry as it relates to livable wages and like a positive, you know, like my, my charge is positive kitchen culture. Like I'm all about how to create positive kitchen culture. And, and that's the message I take everywhere I go. And, you know, you, even though she just emphasis and focuses on women of color, I feel like once you are able to impact the internal system of the restaurant industry um it, it makes a better work environment for everyone you know not just this group or Absolutely. that group you know like if we can you know create a new working model then everyone is better off you know um my my particular charge is to help women of color navigate in those spaces until we get that ideal kitchen space you know positive kitchen culture that we dream of you know yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, the the myth that a lot of people want to find out, with, you know, especially, the, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a chef. And they're like, oh, OK, that must be really, and it, you know, there's a number of, you know, insert uh, a, a description in the blank here where it can be dangerous or hard yeah. work. And the thing they don't understand, like the, the culture can also be really toxic and really challenging. And it's not it's not healthy. It's not at its healthiest yet. Like you wouldn't want to, you still have to have a certain level of fortitude about yes. yourself in order to kind of enter these spaces in order to survive them. Cause you're just like, okay, I can't believe I just heard that, saw that, that person did that. And so there's a lot there to contend with in order to just get to a place where you can just offer up your best work. Right. So I am definitely, uh, definitely a huge conduit for a, a huge catalyst for like, change within those in those individual environments those little micro environments where people kind of walk into a kitchen is like well don't bring your kids right and um it's probably not the best place for a family to sit here and watch a chef do anything in this kitchen right now because you don't know what language is going to come about and so it's um so you just like to to really advocate that or we can do better like and again like you said if we can focus on those particular groups that always seem to be on the fringe and on the outside and not always have been included in the conversations around how to build really healthy kitchen environments yeah. and really positive restaurant environments, 
once we get those voices included, uh, you will see a shift. I absolutely agree with that. You will actually absolutely see a shift for everybody overall, because we just tend to, especially black women, we, when we look at a scenario, we tend to look at like, how is this going to be positive for everybody? We always kind of lean into being inclusive and like, does, is everybody taken care of? Does it, you know, is there, is, and it, I think it does come from like our grandmothers and our great grandmothers and our aunties. It's like, does everybody have a plate? Does everybody have some food? Does everybody get something to eat? Is everybody full? So, you know, we're raised with that thinking, like, how is everybody doing? Yeah. And so to definitely, you know, for me, I always tell people, if you can support women of color being in these spaces that they are not commonly seen in, you will see changes and transitions that you've been fighting for because we just bring that energy with yeah. us. So, um, so, yeah, thanks. so thank you so much for your work in those spaces. Um, how has it been on you know, America's tech kitchen, kind of like bringing that, you know, bringing that with you and carrying that mantle with you into a space that we have not again, seen a, a black woman in or a black person in even. Um, I've been watching America's Test kitchen forever. And, <laughs> you know, I love Chris Kimball. I, I love the ladies right now. And I've learned, I learned so much watching that program. And so like when you popped up on the screen, I was like, um, y'all, uh, wait a minute, hold up. Um, who was this lady? Because I remember like there was a point, I want to say it was like 2002, 2003. I had applied to work in the test kitchen probably twice a year for like four years straight. Uh-huh. I was like, whatever y'all need to do, I will wipe off prep tables. I will sweep floors. Do you need a order to clean off dishes? Like what needs to happen? Because it was just a, an environment that I wanted to be in to kind of just learn and glean information and like work through recipes and see how things can be executed in a way that a home cook could absolutely wrap their hands around and and do something beautiful consistently because I knew like teaching classes that home cooks were challenged with consistently producing really high quality dishes for themselves at home. And I was like America's Test Kitchen nails it in that space. Like if you want to know how to execute that dish repeatedly and correctly, then that's the place you go. That's the thing. That's the thing you watch. And so like when you showed up, I was like all hands on deck, y'all. Somebody need to be watching this program because you won't believe that there's a brown lady on this show now. And I was just so excited to see that. So how has the how has the transition, of course, from being behind the camera to on the camera, but also just carrying that like the the, the message of she chef, you know, throughout your work, how has that worked for you on America's Test Kitchen? Well, it, <laughs> That's, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> it, it has, of course, um, well, let me say this. Before coming to America's Test Kitchen, I was freelancing in New York City, but I was also basically functioning as a full entrepreneur. So it was first mm. challenging for me to, after 10 years, um, step back into a corporate setting of any kind, you know? Um, so that was a challenge first and foremost, you know, I've been a free black woman, um, for most of my professional career life. And suddenly I'm, I am, um, faced with the opportunity to, um, you know, perhaps change the trajectory of my career and do that in a setting in which I was not accustomed to anymore. And then the obvious factor of, you know, being in a company that does not have a a large amount of diversity, you know, and, you know, when you see a company that is lacking diversity, it just is questionable. You, you're like, what, what, 
going on, you know, like how it's possible in 2016, you know, that's when I started. Uh, Right. (laughs) But, um, you know, I have known all my life, I've always been an activist. I was like where I was, I've been an activist since I was an early teen, preteen. You know, I was writing poems about Africa and apartheid when I was like 12 years old, you know. So, okay. That, <laughs> so that part of me, you know, like that's just a part of who I am. It's not. I don't feel like it's something that I take on and take off. You know, it is definitely just installed. And so, um, you know, there was. I never questioned how I would function in that space. I always more questioned how would they, how would they adjust to me in that in that space. I never. I can. I. I can live anywhere. I can do anything. And I was raised to believe that. And I, and I do, you know, I do feel that way. Um, I'm very, you know, more than I am arrogant about that. I'm adaptable, you know? And I think that that adaptability is something that all black women are taught in some form or fashion growing up. We're taught to be adaptable and that's kind of our superpower. And so, you know, coming into yes. America's best <laughs> I didn't think of it as different than any other challenge or any other, you know, opportunity. Like, I know that I'm going to be one of few of something, and um, I don't intend to go in here to work twice as hard to prove myself because I got here because of wh- what I've already been doing. Um, and so mm. it took a it, it took a little work internally for me to get to that point, like not psyching myself out, you know, because you only hear we have to work harder and harder and da-da. I had already decided that if I right. was going to be working double time for time overtime, it was going to be for me, right? Um, so, okay. so, <laughs> so it just really worked out that... <laughs> Um, my, my personal mission, um, obviously comes to the, comes to the forefront because that's really also part of my person, who I am, you know? So there's no way you can introduce me to anyone, let alone the world, let alone 20 million viewers and them not have any idea of who I am. Like I, I, pride myself in having people meet me and say, you are exactly on television the way you are in real life. There's no, there's no distinction. You know, I, this is our, this is our first time talking voice to voice. And I'm pretty sure uh, short of some little side comments, which I can make sometimes because I think I'm funny. Uh, <laughs> short of that, <laughs> short of that, I, you know, I'm pretty consistent. You know, like I've spent so much of my time trying right. to be other things. You know, like I'm almost six feet tall. I'm as bright as a light bulb. You know, like <laughs> I am. You know, like that's just that's what's real about it. And I know for sure that. I I move through this earth with life and privilege. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend that I'm unaware of that. I know that, you know. Um, and I have to make the decision about what I use my privileges for, you know, and I'm gonna use my privileges right. for my people, period. I don't care if it's the worst Come if on. it's the worst worst uh attribute I have. If it's mine and I own it, I'm gonna use it to make somebody better, help someone be better or clear a path or whatever, whatever somebody needs, you know? So, 
Yeah. I think they knew, you know, they, they were aware of She Chef before they hired me. They knew who my demographic was. Okay. They knew, you know, who my target audience was. And that was the audience that they felt that they also wanted, which makes sense. You know, if you are... Right. Yeah. Oh, you know, if you're America's test kitchen, you want to be you want to be attracting all the Americans who are working class, who cook for their families, you know, and, you know, because of the, the way this society dehumanizes people, people forget that all people have that all people have families. Exactly. You know, traditional or non-traditional, exactly. we all have some kind of family for the most part, might not be the one we want. What we got, you know, (laughs) but we have one, and even the ones we create on our own, you know, they're they're still still there, there. and we we cook for them, and we love them in that way, and you know, we have to, you know, I felt like it was my job to be a reminder to them that America. you know, doesn't look one way. And and we need to be making sure right. that not only do we accept that, but we embody that and, you know, we act on that, you know. And I, I have to say, and I admit this a lot, you know, and this is not one of those, um, oh, these white people did a good thing. It's not that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, oh, I understand that. You know, it's yeah. not that kind of thing, but, I mean, they are not, they were not hugely culturally diverse, but there are there is there is diversity in that company. There are so many different types of people, um, sexual orientations, different regions of the United States, different backgrounds. There are some people who grow up very poor and some people who grow up very rich, right? Um yeah. so, you know, there there was there was some type of diversity there. Um, just not, it, it wasn't inclusive and their, their diversity was not okay. inclusive. Right. And so, um, right. I made it, you know, I made it very clear that my desire, my goal, my wish is to see more diversity in the company. And that has definitely happened over the past three years, you know, um, not as rapidly wow. as I would like to see it happening, but to that point, Boston in and of itself is just a very white city. You know, yes, so it's, yes. And there's, yes. you know, there there are professional black people here. You know, they are here, um, but also culinary media is a is almost somewhat of an exclusive field of work like you yes. have to have done it to even get in it and most people don't know even though they don't even know that culinary media is a thing let alone how to get a job in it you know so you know like, talk to me about that right so, so yeah. there's a, and it's funny because like to that point oh, I'm sorry, no, no, go, ahead. go ahead because uh, to that point, it was, I think it was about four years ago, I started, you know, I used to obsessively watch, you know, the Food Network and the Cooking Channel and stuff. And it was, you know, and that was when I was already working professionally. I just always wanted to see, you know, who people were talking to, who people were, what people were talking about. And so I kind of kept up with um, culinary media for that reason. And then after a while, I just noticed that, you know, the, the shows got monotonous and they weren't really creative anymore. They weren't really pushing any boundaries 
boundaries or giving you anything interesting to watch. And then the visuals and the optics of the host were very homogenous. Everybody looked the mm-hmm. same, sound the same. They kind of all looked like they had the same background. And so it just got really tough to watch. And I was like, I cannot continue doing this. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I was just like, I'm done. I've had it. We're not doing this anymore. And so I've literally been working on a digital media platform that that shows people of color hosting this type of programming. Cause I was like this, we just kind of live in a world now that if you don't see it, you likely have to be the person to build it. And so I just, you know, like hearing you say that just kind of makes me aware of the fact that, nope, that is a thing that really exists. It's not just in my head. I know that, you know, like culinary media is definitely not as inclusive as it should be or could be. And it's to our detriment, like quite frankly, the society, you know, culturally, it's just to our detriment not to know more about how other people eat, how other people in the world see food and process conversations around food and how, you know, they treat food and what families do um, at the dinner table. And so it is kind of that weird, you know, like when you were talking about how slowly they've diversified the, um, the, the program and it's just, you know, I'm always curious, do you believe that the reason why it's harder to get these spaces to be a bit more diverse is because there's not enough people, you know, in the field to, to tap into, or is it because we don't know that these opportunities are available and so we don't really even pursue them? Um, you know, is, is it a barrier to entry or is it just that we don't even know where the door is because they haven't made an announcement to everybody about it? And so you kind of almost keep the cycle going because we aren't getting the information out to like these really talented cooks and chefs who would be beautiful on television, who would really produce beautiful programming. Um. I think that there's definitely a barrier to entry. I'm barriers, you know. Um, I think you you've listed quite a few just even in your asking. Um, you know, there are not a lot of black owned media companies. Uh and so when you when there's no ownership, um, there's you know, that kind of limits the accessibility, mm, yeah. you know, like if you don't own it, you know, you can't really right. call any shots about who's involved in it. Um, and that's right. just media across the board. You know, there are very few black owned right. media outlets, you know, and so there's that, um, that's, that is changing. It's shifting in that the way people consume media, um, are very now, you know, back in the day, there was just, TV. you just watch right. your TV and whatever's not on TV is not on TV. But now you have a uh, web series, you have um, streaming networks, you have music streaming networks that are also streaming shows. You know, there are so many yeah. different ways to consume media now that, you know, the initial barrier to entry being like ownership or, you know, like that, that's almost non-existent anymore. Like, you know, almost anyone who is who is committed to it could have some type of media outlet. Um, and you don't need people to be your media outlet anymore. Social media influencers are uh, a perfect example of how, you know, people have taken the way uh, that media is distributed into their own hands, you know? Um, yeah. So, of course, you know, there are barriers in terms of, like, finances, access, and, and being able to stop shots. Um, but now you don't really need, you know, you don't need a whole, whole lot to to get good content out these days. Um, you know, if you wanted right. to become 
well, famous fast. And of course, you, if you have a lot of money, you can do that. But, you know, if you don't, then it's a slow crawl, like most people, but it's possible. Um, I think, and that, again, that's what, those are my feelings on media across the board. Now, culinary media, because a lot of people yeah. don't even know what it's called, they don't know to that that it's a it's an opportunity. There's also very few culinary there are zero um accredited culinary media uh educational programs. There there are there, I mean it's it's just a fact. You know, like you can't go to school yeah. to be a food stylist. You can take a course, you could watch a webinar, but there's no certification for it. You pretty much have to apprentice like I did. Most food stylists apprentice um, a little, at least. Um, you know, and so you can go, you can, there are pro- educational programs for, to teach you how to be a producer. Um, but to be a culinary mm-hmm. producer, you pretty much have had to have some type of culinary training or or heavy culinary experience. And those are just two okay. fields that people don't typically think of going hand in hand. Um, I happen to, I have a, um, a MFA from a full cell university and my degree is in um, entertainment business. So... Okay. Entertainment business is another way to say like media, you know, knowing the business side of production, you know, that's kind of what I mean. Okay. Um, you know, so with there being no training program, it, it kind of makes it like an exclusive club. Like you have to have got someone mm-hmm. has had to have offered you the experience. And you had to have know that someone from you know, that said someone from the inside. And um, most of the people on the inside are white and female in culinary media. Lots of women and white women in culinary media. Um, And, you know, and then you have to get that experience and then the right person has to see it and think you did a good enough job calling to ask you to do another thing. And it's highly competitive. It's competitive with the few people that are in it, let alone, uh, you know, (laughs) let alone the people on the outside, you know. Um, even in New York, it's a small right. world, you know, like we all end up working on the same shows together. We all work on the same shoots together. You know, it's it's like recycling the same people over and over and over again. And if you don't get on top of that list, then you're not on the top of the list. And that's kind of how it goes. Right. Um, so, okay. you know, I mean, it's I don't know that there is a, there's anything that's not a barrier for these days. For the, especially for that, yes. Um, what, I mean, I would want to, I'd be interested to know if we were to, of course, diversify the stories that were being told within food and like wine and hospitality, would we see some growth in that space, in the media space? Like, we, you know, you have the same people telling the same stories or on the same shows because essentially you're talking about the same things, uh-huh. you know, over and over again. Like, how many ways? you teach somebody how to cook, you know, Southern fried chicken. Like, I mean, just there's only so many moments that you can have with that. And so at some point we do have to diversify the stories that are being told in order to even get an opportunity to get people into the media space to tell the story. And so, I, you know, is there, can you think of anybody who, who's 
potentially telling the stories right now? Like, are there any YouTube channels that you absolutely love? Any influencers that we can all like just want to follow and support to get their, um, get their work out there? Because I feel like, you know, if we can throw some eyes and some, and some names or throw some names out there for people to put eyes on that, you know, that we can build those audiences and kind of start leaning that weight to the other side. Like, Hey, tell more stories, tell more diverse stories and we'll have a more, a higher quality of food media at this point because we're really literally telling the same stories over and over again and you really only need so many people telling them stories so is there anyone we should be watching and paying attention to and, and following and championing well, right now besides well, yourself of course there, there are so many so many besides <laughs> me um but i want to first just kind of clarify or not clarify but i want to say that there are so many ways to tell the stories and i think that Food media, food television is a, is a certain type of media, but it's not the be all the end all, you know. And um, it has not proven to us that they will not continue to tell the same stories over and over again. So I think that we should right. take the importance off of them and let them deal with that, which they are, you know, because Food Network has changed quite a bit a bit over the past five okay. years, right? Less programming, less right. cooking shows. Um, it's because people are realizing that there are so many other ways, like I mentioned before, to tell the stories. Um, so I right. think that some of the people whose who stories I love to hear, um, Chef Omar Tate, um, I love hearing his story on a plate. As, um, <laughs> He has a food, he has a dinner, a dining experience called Honeysuckle, and I love it. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, he tells a phenomenal story of food, of Philly on a plate, which I think is amazing. Um, mm. uh, who else is telling? Um, Black Foodie on Instagram. Um, she, she's yes, a, I, yeah, yep. and he's, I yeah, them. East, East African sister. She has a great. Um, she tells a great food story. Um, who else is telling great food stories? Um, Chef Reem Estelle is telling amazing food stories right now. Um, mm. Doctor Leslie, who does the Icon Dinner, uh, she oh, she okay. tells our story very well. I don't know her personally. I'm not. I'm oh. not personally connected to her, but. She does dinners that pretty much um, honor or highlight a chef. I mean, James Beard dinners. Oh, okay. uh, she does some really great events. Dr. Leslie, I can't remember her last name, but it's Leslie with a Z, honey. Don't don't mix it up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who else is telling great food stories? Um, the... I know I'm a big fan of of Whetstone Magazine. Oh yeah, uh, Stephen Stratford. Yeah, Stephen, absolutely. Oh my God, just <laughs> absolutely beautiful stuff coming out of yeah. Uh, and the visuals, like he he just tells he tells stories yes. on on a, on a whole nother level. He does it, it's amazing. Another level, girls. Yeah, come on. he's on another it's level. Really beautiful stuff, and I and I and I wholeheartedly agree with the idea. Like 
you know, television can only is really only 15 percent of the media yeah. most people are consuming uh-huh. at any given point now because you have like Amazon's and you have Netflix yeah. and you have so many other platforms to tell these stories. And I think because, you know, like you, you know, um, platforms like YouTube are so democratic and they're yeah. free. And so you can get on there and you can really develop a great yeah. voice and tell an amazing story and share your point of view so beautifully. Mark. And it doesn't require, you know, a ton of, a ton of, ta- even a ton of experience as long as you have like some passion. for. That's true. Um, Marcus Samuelson's um, new uh, media no passport, no, no passport required or no passport needed, something like that. Yeah. I, I I love that. I've caught a good glimpse of that. And I really love that. I love the way he tells two stories. Um, um, ATK has a wonderful podcast called Proof, um, which tells... Yes, I've been... It, it just tells some good stories that quite a bit. about food, you know, like, yeah. and whoever is like, it's just telling the truth about food, where it came from, how it got here. I really yeah. like that. And there was one more. Uh, I know the Splendid Table. Um, yeah. The Splendid Table is always Splendid been on table, my list. Of course. Um, uh, you know, Eater.com will give you some good stuff here and there. You got mm-hmm. to gotta squeeze that shit out, though. Um, you got to <laughs> weed it out. You really do. Um, you do. You do. Oh, who was the last? Oh, and there's a publication out of Boston, um, which is, is selling in quite a few cities now, um, called Girl Squash. Um, Ooh, Girl okay. Squash is a, is a woman-identified center publication. A lot of women writers, um, a lot of women of color contribute to that publication. And they're just, um, a, you okay. know, they just have a huge emphasis on women and food. And um, they have a great way of telling the story. Their, their founder is Madison Trapkin. She's a woke-ass white sister from Atlanta. I love her. And she does She's just as regular white and phenomenal as she could possibly be. I love her. Madison is amazing. Uh, Yeah. So, and I see you're on the you're a a speaker for an event for them tomorrow. uh, Is that what I'm saying? She Chef 2019 Level Up. Oh no, that was in LA. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No. 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 In, oh, in, never mind. I you know what? No, in, in, full, in the spirit of transparency, um, for my self-care and mental health, I decided to pull all of She Chef's programming until September of 2019. Um, I'm, I'm right, taking a um, mental, mental health break. Um, I'm also, I guess this is a good point for me to do my, my last plug, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> I decided it. to, you know, take a mental health break. I did some heavy traveling at the top of the year and it, I got very sick. Um, I'm still kind of in recovery from that and I'm a cancer survivor, so I have to be extra specially careful. Um, so yes. uh, in the meantime, I've um, She Chef has been accepted into Mass Challenge, which is um, a startup incubator program because fortunately six years is not old in the business world. And someone thinks that she right. should, should be fully developed, and I agree. So I'll be spending the year developing. We all Thank agree. You. Hello. Uh, we all agree with that. <laughs> so I'll be spending the year developing she chef, restructuring, making it more sustainable, not just for my consumers, but also for myself. Um, I am 
I want to, that might be the, the biggest, most important thing okay. that I'm doing. Yeah, really just kind of like taking a step back and, you know, reminding myself yeah. and other entrepreneurs, you know, because I am quick to tell people rest, take care of yourself, and I don't do it. So um, I just want to, I, I feel like <laughs> success looks like creating better habits for myself. You know, that's what success looks Amen. like. And um, I, I don't want to do, you know, to create all this fruit from my labor and not be able to enjoy it because I'm dead. You know, I don't want that. Girl, dead or sick or or broke down. And no, no, it's all yeah. the same. Yeah, gonna... It's all the same. That's exactly my yep. point. Like it's, if you can, even if you're alive and broke down, you might as well be dead because you can't enjoy it, you know. Come on, so, you know, exactly. I don't I don't want to exactly. do that. I want to reimagine um, what success can look like for black women and, you know, um, you know, maybe create a handbook about what that looks like. You know, a tangible. Yes. Well, let me tangible. Handbook. Tell me where we can send our offering and our ties. <laughs> I book. know that's um, right. right? I am sure. We can pass this plate on around and get this done, ladies and gentlemen. I know that's right. So, I mean, thank, but thank you so much for being such a a great example of that of showing. Like, look, sometimes I have to show up in my life this yeah. way in order for me to continue. And so, like, taking a step back is just as healthy as charging forward. And you just need to know the time yep. um, to do that and and respect it when your body is telling you, like, "Ma'am, step," right. and you're like, "Yes," and I'll do that. That's right. <laughs> so, thank you again for being that example for all of us to like go. Okay, you know, we can chill. And our hustle doesn't suffer no, on account of us taking rest and taking a break. It actually is improved yep. when we go back into it. And so thank you so much for, for for sharing that because I know that, you know, especially as Black women, we are conditioned to kind of work harder and three times faster than everybody else. And, you know, in order to get a, a, a few inches ahead and to know, like, we, it's okay. Yeah, we don't have to do right. that. Like, we can show up in the space with all our greatness and you know we deserve to take time for ourselves and take care of ourselves because we don't have to work ourselves into uh-huh. in order to be great and so you know look I appreciate you and I thank you so much um now at the end of these podcasts I have decided to to, to give people a couple of questions they're usually just fun but it gives us a, a better picture of like just who you are okay. and where you're you know and, and, and how you see the world um so you will be the first of these of our guests to answer these three questions. Okay. And so the first one is, what's something people seem to misunderstand about you? Oh, girl, <laughs> the list is long. Um, <laughs> I think that people... Give me okay, your top three. <laughs> the, top thing, the top three things I think people misunderstand about me. I think people think that... Um, I think people think I'm full of myself when I'm not. I'm, I'm actually quite a humble person. Um, I think people think that I am a little crash um, because I say exactly what's on my mind, but I'm a Sagittarius. So I just, I don't have a filter for facts. I don't ever say things to intentionally hurt people. I just don't have a filter for facts. Um, and no. I think people think that I have a ton of friends and I don't, or that I have like this out crazy social life and I really don't. I'm a homebody. I have a all the time. <laughs> they be like, "You're an introvert." Okay, yes. every day, 100 percent. Like, yes, yep, in the 100%. house. 
I will pretend to make plans with you and then be joyful when you cancel them. Yeah. And, 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 and be excited when you still and when it's still happening. Like either I could go either way. I'm OK with staying home. That excites me, too. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, you ain't going to go tonight. That's not a problem. I got, I got plans. I'm good. <laughs> okay, so the next question is, what is something that you are not very good at? Um, I'm not very good at cooking white rice. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I either overcook it or you know undercook what? it. I, I don't know. Bless your yep. life. Yep. <laughs> that is um that is information we all use going into the future when we out here burning rice up. Sometimes. Oh, chef, she ain't made, she ain't good at the rice either. It's sometimes, all right. sometimes. Right. Um, I'm in good company. Yeah. It will not it won't suppress my greatness. I'm gonna go ahead and do this rice That's again. And it's no, okay. or you just gonna uh, scrape it off the top and eat what's good. I don't care. You know, I'm cool with it. <laughs> don't eat, look now. <laughs> Blessings. Uh, the last question is: Tell me something that is true for you that nobody else agrees with you on. Um, <laughs> I think that you can admire qualities about someone that you have great disdain for. You know what. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, um, we would like to take up an offering or a collection for that bit of ministry right there. Yes, that whole that whole statement will preach. I'm like, you know what? I can still appreciate these three things about you, but still want nothing, nothing to do to with do you. With you. It's, it's yeah. possible. I mean, it's you know, totally I, I absolutely cannot stand um, the orange monster, and we know who that is. I cannot stand him. Uh, However. He he has the audacity of the, like that I the kind of audacity I've never seen. Like he, it doesn't matter what he says in his mind, it's true. I wish I could be that convinced about myself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I wish I had that. Right? I wish. Oh my I wish. goodness. Girl, the level of self confidence or, or or delusion, man, I don't know, is borderline probably it's a, little a little bit of both. both. Exactly. I mean, if I had that kind of Girl. thought, you know, they say, you know, a, a very funny phrase that I've heard several times recently is that um, go into every task with the confidence of a middle aged white man. That's, I've heard that so many you know times. What? It's so true, right? Ladies and gentlemen, on that on that note, we're gonna leave you with that note of wisdom. From culinary uh, Oprah. I'm heard it yourself. From culinary Oprah. There you go. Okay. okay. I need you to go into the rest of your work with that information in the back of your head. That's right. <laughs> it will serve you for the rest of your the, life. The rest. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Look, the confidence of a white a middle-aged white man, not even a young one, a middle-aged yeah. white man. Don't They're even the play. most confident. They are the <laughs> most confident. Oh, oh, blessed assurance. You're right. Mm-hmm. right. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having for me. Spending this hour with me. I, oh, my God. I, I, I've, been, I've loved every time I've had to chat with somebody or just set up an interview with somebody in the past few, few weeks. It has been humbling and it has blown my mind just to hear how excited, you know, our, uh, us, this, this community of Black women, how we need to, to connect and talk and like share our stories with each other. And it's just like, I love the, the generosity of spirit that I have run into um, in the beginning of this process. So I just thank you for being my first interview, for being our debut. Thank you. Um, thank you for having me. Based on the response, you know, people are lit and prepared and ready to just hear what you have to say and hear your story and be inspired. Oh, so, great. you know, just thank you so much for being a leader. 
in the community and we appreciate all you do. Please definitely take care of yourself and, you know, take a break, luxuriate as much as you possibly can, because we know that when you come back at it, you will be snatching all of our edges <laughs> and um, stepping on everybody's neck and motivating everybody to get their lives. Want, yeah. um, and we look forward to I want to everyone it. to keep their edges, but you, if you want me to just lay them down, <laughs> you can find me at www.shechef.org. You can find me on Instagram at shechefinc underscore E-L-E, or you can follow the organization at shechefinc on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, we're on Facebook, you know, you can find us everywhere. Every bit, little bit of social media, you can type in Chef L. Simone or you can type in She Chef Inc. And we're right there for you. Thank you for having me. And um, yes. I'm looking forward to hearing all the other sister chefs um, give it all they got. Thank you for listening in on this week's conversation with El Simone Scott. We are excited that you have joined our community of thoughtful, ambitious, and informed listeners. We love to hear the stories and experiences of inspirational and passionate people. You're invited to the episode after party. Click the link in the episode description to become a member of the Afros and Knives community powered by Mighty Networks. And let's keep the conversation going. Are you looking for information that was referenced in today's podcast? Then visit the show description on the Afros and Knives website to get the details. Subscribe to the Afros and Knives podcast on iTunes and unlock the newest episode every Tuesday. Visit the website and become an insider to get exclusive access to new shows before they air. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We upload every episode on YouTube on the following Wednesday. Be sure to find us and subscribe and don't forget to hit that notification bell so you can get notified every time a new episode goes live. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to check in with us every single Tuesday for a new conversation. Next week, I am joined by millennial wine influencer Desiree Brown. Stay hungry, y'all.